primarily we we spent time on how to work together as a team. So we did a, kind of a Lego building event and, and, and gave our our teams uh, opportunities to try and collaborate better and learn and take lessons away from that. So very interesting, large company doing building Legos, but I think it gets down to the the, the task of how do you work together. Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. All right. Well, that was super interesting. I just had Michael Barclay, who is the COO for um, Reconstruction Experts. They're a Johns Lane Group company. They've just merged with a company in Australia. So the Reconstruction Experts group is 350 people. Um, Johns Lane Group is 1,000. Michael, who's their COO, has been with the company for 14 and a half years, but started in the industry when he's 18. He talks a lot about this merger that just happened between the two companies, talks a lot about the leadership conference that they went to over in Australia and what they would work on at a leadership conference of, you know, a 1,500-person company. Um, talked about kind of the imposter syndrome and belonging in a room and trying to instill that confidence in all the leaders in the company that if you're in this role, you belong here. You belong in the room. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. Um, talked a little bit about decision-making and the humanity of the business and interesting insights around culture and people inside of a, a typically a blue-collar construction industry. So some great insights. I think you're really going to enjoy the show. And uh, glad you're with us this week. Michael, welcome to the Second Command Podcast. Thank you very much, Cameron. Good to be here. Yeah, looking forward to um, to chatting. I, and I, I love when, when we were chatting briefly before we just got on that you had said you're just over in, over in Australia at a leadership conference, which I don't think too many Americans ever get to say. So, But I think there's a, there's a reason why that happens. So do you want to, and it's really kind of, uh, core part that we're going to even talk about today. So why were you over in Australia and, and give us the backstory there? Went over to Australia, actually the second time over there. Beginning of this year, we partnered with a uh, Australian firm called John's Link Group, who is uh, one of the largest restoration contractors in Australia. And um, we were fortunate enough for them to see reconstruction experts as their platform for growth in the United States. And so at the beginning of the year, we started to get to know who each other were. We went out in March which was quite a challenge because that was still very significant COVID lockdowns in Australia at the time. So had to kind of promise our firstborn uh, to, in order to get out there back then. Uh, this time around, about two weeks ago, we went out for a leadership conference in Byron Bay. And what was great about that is we were able to really bond with the leadership in Australia and really understand that they do carry the same culture that we do, which is essentially people first and, and culture. And, and how do we grow our people and how do we empower our people? Um, so it was a great, great conference. And the fact that we got to spend time in Byron Bay, Australia, definitely wasn't a bad thing. Yeah. And I'm not going to say the city that you could have been, you know, partnering with a company in, but it's awesome that you got to partner with someone in a great, great area. So you mentioned going to a leadership conference. Before I dive into asking a little bit about that, just walk us through um, very briefly, what's the size of Reconstruction Experts, which is the U.S. company? And then what's the size of um, the John Lane's group in Australia in terms of like maybe number of employees. Yeah. So size of reconstruction experts here in uh, the States and we're in, in multiple states within the country uh, is about 350 employees. The John's Lane group, I think, is about a thousand employees. 
maybe actually pushing a little bit over that when you contemplate them taking, you know, all, all populated regions of the country. Okay. So years ago, I was a part of an organization called College Pro Painters, which was the, the first acquisition of the first service group. And then they did call it, you know, Serta Pro Painters and Paul Davis Systems and all these like brands in, in the services space. And our leadership conferences were pretty unique. But, but what's the leadership conference look like of a, you know, 1300 person company? What are you covering? What skills are they working with you on? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, primarily we, we spent time on how to work together as a team. So we did a, kind of a Lego building event and, and, and gave our, our teams uh, opportunities to try and collaborate better and learn and take lessons away from that. So very interesting, large company doing building Legos, but I think it gets down to the, the, the task of how do you work together? A lot of time on just thinking through decision making. So. Many times, you know, leaders feel like they need to be the ones to make the decision and it all revolves around them and where decision making should be collaborative. Decision making should have a lot of contemplation. And so we even talk about pre contemplating and then contemplating and, and multiple steps before we actually get to execution. Mm. So we talked a lot about that and why that was really, really important. And then, and then just the, the empowerment of leaders and many times leaders find themselves unsure if they should be in the room so there was a very consistent message of like you belong here mm. there were there were people like myself who was the, the ceo of re reconstruction experts but then there were also folks there in the in, in the jlg mindset is is creating a lot of small businesses where they put business partners over top of them and they, and they drive deep into their marketplace and some of them are fairly new and some of them are fairly young in their careers and so they can find themselves unsure if they belonged in the room. And so we, we worked hard to make sure that they felt comfortable there. That's a super unique concept that um, I we, we hold an, an event called the COO Alliance, and we have a network of COOs from around the world that meet. And remember at one of the events, one of the guys put his hands up and said, I feel like a fraud. And he actually told me at lunch. So I went back into the room and I said to all of the COOs, like, how many of you ever feel like a fraud in your job? And every single person's hand went up. And then Brian, who'd said it to me at lunch, turned and looked around and he started laughing. He goes, okay, I'm good now. But I think that there's something that's really beautiful about that in that you need to give leaders, no matter their age or their skill level, the confidence that, yeah, they do belong in the room. So was it just a discussion that you did that or was there some vulnerability exercises or how did they, how did they approach that? There was discussion around it and they have a, they have an amazing leader by the name of Kurt Mudd. He actually really had an impact on, on the industry, both for John's Lane Group and many other multinational companies as their HR leader. And um, it's just taking the time to understand who people are. We spent a lot of time on like brand mapping as well and and really opening up, you know, these 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 younger leaders to be able to talk about what what the the brand should look like and what the experience of the brand should look like. And and when you're talking to, to young leaders about those types of things, that it starts to empower them because they're being heard. And, and many times they have better ideas than we do. Hmm. So I want to ask you about that in terms of the, the, um, the kind of consultative approach or the collaborative approach and getting people's, you know, buy in on stuff. Is it a complete kumbaya group hug where you're trying to get everybody to kind of the big loving where we all agree and we're all going to get along or? To sometimes the leader making the call, you know, even after listening to everybody, or is it a balance? It's a balance. And in, in all reality, um, I don't believe that uh, the kumbaya is the way to get things done. You know, I don't think we have movement or growth without disagreement. 
And I think that breaks into kind of the other piece of the business that we we look at is is a trust based environment. I know that I can, and I know we we talk a lot about you know the relationship with the COO and the CEO. We have a very trust based organization here to where disagreement is is good. Um, we want to we want to make sure people can collaborate together and people feel empowered to provide their opinion and don't feel like you know what they might say is is wrong. And so at the end of the day, I think what really matters is when you do get into that collaboration, you have to set the ground rules, you know, and, and, and maybe the leader of that group, you know, if it's me or somebody else will say, hey, listen, we're going to spend the next hour, you know, collaborating on this. And if we can come to a decision as a, as a group, great, you know, we'll, we'll go forth and conquer and we'll be all behind that decision. But if for whatever reason we get to the end and there's not a decision, then there's going to be an executive decision. And it may be me, it may be somebody else within the group, because at the end of the day, we we have to move on in a direction. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I love that as well. So you talked about the trust-based environment. How do you and the CEO build trust with each other? And, and this this does follow the whole Pat Lencioni's five dysfunctions of a team, right, with the fear of conflict and that good, healthy engagement. So how do you and the CEO have good, healthy engagement? Um, and then how do you have that good, healthy you know, engagement or conflict with your direct reports. Can you speak to both of those? Sure, I can. And and I think it's all about making sure that people feel um, empowered to raise their hand. At, at any given time throughout your career, you don't have all the answers. And many people feel like they need to just put their head down, figure it out. And if they don't figure it out on their own, they, they're a failure. And quite frankly, they're the failure when they don't raise their hand and ask for help because now we haven't been given that opportunity to step in and give the assistance that I think is required of, of leadership. And so the same thing works with with myself and my direct reports, and especially myself and the CEO and all the other people on the on the C-suite side of things. We just had a meeting yesterday, and and you know all of us had a different opinion as it related to a topic of discussion. But at the end of the day, what was great about it is everybody could provide their opinion, and they knew that you know the CEO wasn't going to come in and and, and tell you you're wrong. He's going to listen. He's going to understand. He's going to come back with some good feedback. But I don't, I don't have to be afraid to talk to my CEO about any, anything within the organization, good, bad, or indifferent. Mm. Was the, was this partnership with John's Lane Group, is it an acquisition or is it a partnership or where does it fall in that spectrum? Yeah, it was actually, um, an acquisition. They, they took over the primary shareholder. From uh, where we were, uh, private equity health, mm. and so they came in as permanent capital and took over that piece of the business. How's that transition been from moving to to working with a PE firm to you know working with a, a strategic partner? It's been amazing. Um, I, I do believe there's a place for private equity. I think they can take some small businesses and really help them grow. But it, it's a breath of fresh air to be able to come in, limit debt on your balance sheet, um, have permanent capital have a company that wants to grow with you over the years as opposed to, you know, you have a five or six or seven year horizon typically with private equity, you know, that could potentially cause, you know, changes in leadership, changes in direction of, 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 uh, you know, business goals. And now he, here we can lay out what I feel like is a 50 year plan and know that we can stick to it because, because of this. Have there been any changes in leadership? Have there been any, you know, transition? Like are they coming in and, and changing or what are they coming in and changing? Yeah, um, what's really great about it is Junsling Group spent many, many years trying to decide who was going to be their platform for growth in, in the United States. And, um, 
and the, and the leader, the CEO of John's Lean Group, um, Scott Didier, he, you know, he's got his, you know, CFO and a bunch of other people, you know, chasing after him of going, Hey, this is a great company. Look at their balance sheet. Hey, this is a great company. Look at their EBITDA number. Hey, we should get involved with these guys. And he's like, I don't care about any of that. So I need people. And they spent three or four years looking for a group that had the right people. And so when you ask, like, did they change? Wow. Um, anything? No, they were insistent on the fact that the leadership group that's here, which is our CEO, our CFO, our chief sales officer, were going to stick. And if we weren't going to stick, because they needed to know that we were going to carry on what they bought. Um, and we were wondering, it was interesting, you know, we thought we had a, a deal, right? And we were going through this process and like, we want to close in October. And they were like, no, we, they were, they were slow rolling it. We couldn't understand why. And, and the reason why is, is they couldn't come over from Australia during COVID in a way so they can meet us face to face. So finally they were able to pull it off. They came out. I spent a week touring with their COO and then the, the CEO came out and spent another week touring. And the questions that he asked our teams weren't about numbers. They were like, tell me about who you are. Tell me about your family. What do you like to do? Are you into sports? What drives you? What motivates you? And and one of the, the biggest changes I think that has come from, and not that we didn't already do this, but a big change that's come from the John's Link group coming in is is in our hiring world and in hiring um, mindset over skill set. And so we're actually getting into where we do no resume interviews. So the first interview we ever do, you know, sure, if I need somebody that um, has a degree in a particular field, um, that'll have to be a prerequisite. But I'm not necessarily concerned about, you know, their skill set as I am concerned about their mindset and the belief in the in, in now reconstruction experts in John's Link USA and John's Link Group is if they have the mindset, the drive, the energy and the passion then the rest will fall into place. That's amazing. I love the approach to it all as well. Yeah, I recently heard that a, a great approach to interviews is to also tell the candidate in advance the questions you're going to be asking them. And then just say, like, this isn't a stress testing meeting. This is just a conversation. So I'm going to ask you these questions. Well, let's talk about them. And it just, it really, it really humanizes the whole thing, right? So, um, what about what about the systems and brand changing? Are they going to do anything related to changing the brand or changing the systems that are being used? Where are they? What's happening there? Yeah, so systems not so much. Um, you know, of course, we have to try and pull together our ERP and our accounting systems and make all that work. But that's I think pretty typical with any acquisition and or merger. We got to pull the books together. But they, by far, they they want reconstruction experts to run the business that they've always ran. The difference is. They also want to include all of the other brands that they offer in Australia. And mm-hmm. so reconstruction experts is a large scale reconstruction general contractor. You know, our business is, you know, anywhere from, you know, $50,000 to $15 million projects, uh, and up. And, um, uh, we're able to achieve a lot of market dominance through focusing on everything from the thousand dollar drywall job through the, restoration work. So a lot of insurance type business. So Mm -hmm. there's several different brands that RE will become one of those brands. And, and RE is now part of the Johnsling USA Uh, brand package. Okay. So it's all, it is kind of like the first service group of companies where you're a part of something. So they're not going to rebrand your business. You're just now a part of the Johnsling group. 
and then your business will have some other services that you can cross sell or or be or just be a part of. That's really cool. All right, you, you mentioned empowering people to raise their hand. I want to go back to that. Says, how do you do that? How do you get people to feel confident to do it, or or to um, to be able to do it when they're in a room of people that are overpowering them? Yeah, it's a really interesting question, and it doesn't happen overnight. It it, it takes it takes time. And so, for instance, when I came into this role uh, as COO, prior to that, I was a VP within the Colorado region. Um, there were people in California and Texas and, and, and some people in the organization within Colorado and Florida that they didn't really know me well enough, at least as a leader. And so it really took setting down and, ha- and taking time with them. You know, if we're mm-hmm. going to go through the P&L of the business or we're going to go through some certain metrics as it relates to performance measurements, um, it's not just sitting down and going like, here's your numbers. What do you have to say about that? It's sitting down and actually opening up the numbers, understanding where they came from, how they were able to, you know, do good or where they may have challenges and, and them starting to slowly learn that I'm there to help. One of the things that if you talk to any of my direct reports that I consistently tell them is I work for you. You don't work for me. And my success is your success. And so that they feel that way and they truly believe that their success is is of utmost importance to me because at the end of the day, that's how I become successful. Then they know that they can raise their hand. Um, and I think that's the, the driving forth from the direct reports that I have to the folks that they actually lead as well. Right. And you've been at Reconstruction Experts for almost 15 years. Did you rise up in the organization or have you always been in this very senior role and the company just kind of built around you? Yeah, that's a great question. I actually rose up through the organization. When I joined the company 15 years ago, we were about a $30 million a year company. Um, we had just started, you know, branching off into a feud over the different regions, such as California and Texas. And, uh, and I was running projects. Um, and I think, you know, having the opportunity to come in and, and, and of course, you know, one of the best things you can do to get ahead in the company is fix something that's broken. And so I had a project that was broken and I fixed it. And, and, you know, you get the attention of the leaders and the next thing, you know, like, Hey, um, that they can, they can fix things, you know? And so as long as you can do that and, and really the way I fix it, and I keep going back to this, I fixed it through building relationships. I built relationships with the client. I built relationships with the engineers. I built relationships with my team. And, and once again, it goes back to trust. You know, if people are trusting that you're trying to fix something and, and, and make something go well. Um, they're going to allow you to do that. Or if they don't trust you, they're going to push back on you. Are you cognizant on how you build relationships or has it just become kind of second nature to you after all these years? Like, can you, can you tell us specific things that you do to, to build the relationships? Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting. And, uh, and I, and I owe certain levels of, of my relationship building to, to our chief sales officer, Allie. Um, when I first started with the organization here, I knew that I had to build relationships. I, I started my own business when I was 18 years old in, in, in restoration. And, and you can't be 18 if you don't know how to build relationships. But but I was always prideful of like, I'm just going to do it really well. And that's what they're going to like about me because I'm going to do it really well. And uh, I had this engineer on that project and 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 she had known him for a while. And she knew that he was an influencer in the industry. And she's like, you got to you got to buy him some Jamba juice and, you know, you got to bring him some coffee every once in a while. I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm like, I'm just going to do this really well and, and he'll like it for that. And it turned into, no, 
get a personal connection there, understand who that person is, so that when you do have an issue, you do, do ask for that next line of business, um, they're going to be more apt to give it to you or at least give the inside track of what's going on. And it seems so common sense, but it struck me 15 years ago as such an important factor that I continually push that. And, and let's face it, that's a sales, I think, trait mm-hmm. to be able to build those relationships. But at the end of the day, we may be this big, great general contractor, but we're a sales company that are that are working on homes and buildings. You just touched on something that I've said for a while that, that I think every great salesperson is amazing at customer service. They have to be, right? But but not every great customer service person can sell. There's a complete disconnect there. Um, and yeah, the only way you're going to do that is by by staying connected with the people. So it's clearly worked well for you. So talk about the people-first culture. What does that mean and how do you... How do you instill that and how do you live that? And so then there's a lot there. Yeah, there, there really is. And, and, and like, it's not like you have a book that, uh, that says, here's what to do and how to treat your people well. Um, it comes from, it comes from the heart. And so if you look at, um, our business and you just look at our core values, our core values are we are driven to be the best. We do the right thing. We work together and we enjoy the journey. So it starts right there at, at our core values. You know, it's we, part starts out, everything is we. Mm-hmm. And, and if everybody feels like we are, we are a we, then they don't feel like they're an island anywhere. So I, I, and we, we breathe, live and breathe those core values. And then the other piece is just like I said before, our, our, our statement, our slogan of love your place again. Who says that? What contractor says love your mm-hmm. place again? Not, not many. And so it starts there and then it goes into just your daily interactions. And so I could be walking down the hallway. You know, there's not a hierarchy that anybody feels here, you know, like, oh, there goes the COO, you know, I can't, you know, can't say hi to him. If anything, it's quite the opposite open door policy. People can come in and, you know, voice their concerns or their questions. They don't necessarily feel like there would be any retribution even through the ranks. Um, I had an individual come into my office the other day and say, hey, do you have time for lunch on Friday? You know, he's an estimator within one of our divisions. I'm like, Probably not lunch, but let's find some time to, to, to sit down because I want to hear him out. I want to understand like what he wants to communicate about. Um, and I think the organization is set up that way to, to, to continually have that, what you want to call open door policy and that supportive mindset. And so, as I said earlier, you know, my success is your success. And so how do we continue to drive that through the organization? The open door policy where people can come to you is really critical. Um, and the, the, the other layer is the, the skip level meetings. Do you run skip level meetings? And if you do, can you talk us through those? We actually don't run skip level meetings. Um, and it, it's not because it's a bad idea. I just don't think we've contemplated that. And, and there's probably some benefit there. Um, what, what I do is I have a, a regular one on one session with my direct reports on a, on a regular basis and they then take, you know, the valuable information that we may gain, garner out of that, or I may take the valuable information that I hear from them and present, I think, I don't want to call it policy changes, but, you know, present opportunities for change based upon the information that they've given. And then they can get that back to the, the next level. I've contemplated the skip level and I think it may just happen organically. We just don't do it specifically. Right. As a, as a kind of specific tool, it makes sense. You talked about core values, and I'm curious what you do to kind of live the core values internally, but but more than live them to um, 
How do you reinforce them? How do you, like, are there some systems around that? I know that you know them, but I know there's more there. Walk us through what you do. Yeah. So a lot of it is, is really celebrating them. And so if you, if you have, you know, a situation to, you know, one of the core values is doing the right thing and, and somebody made a decision, you know, for our client to, to do the right thing, it doesn't go unnoticed. And so say, for instance, you know, we, we did have a situation where a homeowner had a, had a medical condition on a project and, and the project manager went down there and went above and beyond to, 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 to resolve the situation and get them, you know, first care response. And while that's a great thing and he probably felt good about it and the team was wonderful about it, the whole company knew about it. You know, the whole company was able to understand like, Hey, what did this guy do to, to do the right thing or, or go above and beyond? And so you can't just have core values and not celebrate when, when people are actually embracing them and, and running with them. I like that. Talk about your growth as a leader. I mean, you've been with the organization for, you know, again, almost 15 years. How have you grown? Um, and, and what are you focusing on growing today? Cause you're going through a new, a new trajectory or a new transition in the organization. Sure. I kind of touched on it a little bit in the beginning. Um, when you, when we had talked about do you belong in the room, right? Mm. So, so as I grew, you know, I went from a, a project manager to running a branch to running the state and, and at every level, you start to pull away from, you know, the core of what we do, right? So first I'm on the project, you know, that's where the rubber meets the road with the client. Um, next, I'm, you know, in the office and, and working closely with the folks that are on the project. Now at the position I'm at is, is you're at 30,000 feet above the work that we're putting in place and you can't do it all, right? And so I think at every step of the way, you know, leaders have a tendency to want to be able to do it all. And I have all the answers and I know how that, I know how it gets done and it's finding that opportunity to know when you can one trust your, your people and I'll let them, let them make mistakes, right? If they're not, if they're not given the opportunity to make the mistakes, they'll never learn the way that you did. And so every time you take a step in a, in a leadership role where you're farther up in the organization, you're that much more removed from the client mm-hmm. and it's stressful for people that have grown their business. And, and like, for instance, I started my career in in the home you know doing the work you know and controlling every single thing to where now it's like i'm not there and i i have to be okay with that and Mm. being okay with not controlling everything is i think a challenge that i see in a lot of leadership and and it's one of the things that i work to train all of my people on is you know even this morning we had a situation where my ops manager in one of our regions you know, had a, had a challenging situation yesterday. He was upset that he didn't know about it prior to it. I said, it's okay. It's okay because at some point in time, you can't know everything and you have to now just go back and say, okay, how could we have avoided this? You know, what systems and processes maybe do we have to put in place? But you can't control it and you can't be upset that you didn't know about it prior to it happening. And so it's the same thing that I learn every day. And then one of the other things I think is, as I grew up in the organization, because I did, I started in this industry when I was 17 years old. And so I won't say how many years I've been in it, but it's been quite a while. I always have this mindset of I'm the young guy in the organization because I started young and I'm not anymore. And I have to continually prove myself and it's not proving myself anymore. It's proving my organization. And it's not about me. It's about my, it's about the product of the organization and the people. And so I actually went through a bit of a a mindset change about three years ago when I took the COO role was realizing I was finally at that level to where it's like I 
it nothing was about me anymore. It was all about the organization. And in every step of the way, you you take a step away from that. That's really interesting as well. Um, I'm curious about about two parts of your business right now. One is, and we'll speak to this one first. I mean, it would be hard to find anyone in Gen Y, kind of the millennials, which are like the 26 to 45 year olds, 46 year olds. Hard to find any of them that want to be in a company for more than two years, let alone you know 15 years, um, or two to three years even. So how are you? Uh, is that an issue for your business or your industry? And if it's not, what have you done to attract and retain people that are you know in that that cohort? Uh, that's a great question, and I think that you know as the years go by, more and more people are are moving around. And so first of all, culture. You know, I want to make sure that people are working in an organization that they feel good at. Many large companies like us, folks feel like a number, you know, feel like maybe that it doesn't matter. Uh, they come in for a paycheck mm-hmm. and that's it. Um, in our organization, you know, one of the unique things about what we do is because we are working in occupied space. And so most of the work we do is, is, um, folks that are having something repaired and they're not leaving their home. So inherently that means we've got a, eight to five day and nobody wants you on weekends. And so we sell that hard with our employees to say, Hey, listen, you know, I, I'm not going to put you to the grindstone through, you know, 16 hour days and weekends, mm. like many commercial builders and new construction people will do. So they have a good work life life balance for the most part. And then we've been working really hard over the years from a competitive standpoint, whether it's 401k, whether it's um, you know, additional benefits associated with vacation time, like what can we do to consistently keep our, are people happy with not only the product offering that we have, but also the culture that they work within? I love that answer. I, I love the, the whole grasping of what's really important to them. And it is, yeah, the 16 hours is a horrible, there, there is no work-life balance. And if I could even give that to them, it's really powerful. All right. I want to go back to the, the 18 year old Michael Barclay, who's starting off in his construction career. What advice would you give yourself when you were just starting out that you know to be true today? Uh, always believe in yourself. I think the, the times in my career where I've maybe taken a step back and while I, while I feel like I've always been on a, been on a pretty good trajectory, it's always when I've second guessed myself and didn't believe in myself. Mm-hmm. And, um, I can't state that anymore that it, uh, the harder and the, and, the, and the more you believe in who you are and what you do and that you can do something, you will accomplish it. Happy with, with where I'm at, but definitely think that, uh, a couple steps in the road could have been resolved by an older me talking to a younger me. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Me as well. Michael Barclay, the COO for Restoration or Reconstruction Experts, the John's Lane Group company. Thank you so much for sharing with us on the Second Crown Podcast. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Cameron. It was a pleasure. You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.